Over the last few years, several states around the country have tightened restrictions on abortions, and many were emboldened to clamp down further, effectively banning them, following the Supreme Court's 2022 decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. The subsequent patchwork of state abortion laws following the ruling in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case has placed providers in somewhat precarious situations. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, December 11th. Thanks so much for joining us. Hospitals typically do not offer elective abortions, but the procedure can be crucial to patients experiencing a potentially life-threatening pregnancy complication or carrying a non-viable fetus. In states that restrict or ban abortions, those laws, which are sometimes vague or unclear about exceptions, can place physicians and hospitals, as well as patients, in difficult situations. The issue can be particularly murky when hospitals themselves fail to provide clear guidance for providers delivering care at their facilities. Today, Washington Post national healthcare reporter Dan Diamond joins the podcast to talk more about what he and his colleague, reporter Carolyn Kitchener, found when they spoke with physicians navigating these state bans, as well as what hospitals put in writing, or don't, as is more often the case, to help outline abortion care delivery in these circumstances. Further complicating the matter is how physicians and hospitals deal with state abortion laws, as well as other federal health care laws like EMTALA, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. Here's our conversation. Before we take a closer look at how hospitals have handled abortion restrictions or bans in their states, can you tell me more about the story of Dr. Amelia Huntsberger? Dr. Huntsberger was a physician and OB practicing in Idaho, and she spoke to my colleague Caroline Kitchener about a situation she encountered last year. When a patient arrived with a pregnancy complication, Dr. Huntsberger believed it was potentially life-threatening, but it was a Friday, and Dr. Huntsberger was trying to figure out, could she proceed with an abortion under Idaho's new state law restricting abortion? Dr. Huntsberger then tried to call administrators at her hospital, I believe she called half a dozen, trying to understand whether she could go forward with an abortion, which only is allowed if it's necessary to prevent the death of, of the pregnant woman, I, I believe is the policy. In those cases, the administrator at the hospital would punt the decision back to the doctor. Dr. Huntsberger was charged with making the choice moving forward. And I think for Dr. Huntsberger, like many physicians we talked to around the country, found that that kind of pressure was almost impossible. The physician is trying to prioritize the safety, the life of the patient. At the same time, the state abortion ban might lead to prosecution for this physician for going forward. And Dr. Huntsberger felt let down by her hospital. She is a physician. She's not a lawyer. She did not know whether it was legally sound for her to proceed. She didn't want to have to call administrator after administrator trying to get the okay to go ahead. So while it's a singular story of Dr. Huntsberger, it's representative of what Caroline and I heard from physicians around the country in these abortion ban states, that hospitals more often than you might expect are kicking the decisions to the doctors and not offering formal guidance about whether to proceed around an abortion procedure. 
Much of the coverage when we talk about abortion, certainly following the Supreme Court's decision in 2022 that overturned Roe v. Wade, has been on the states that have decided to restrict abortion care further, as well as on the patients that may need this care for a variety of reasons. But as Dr. Huntsberger's story highlights, there are physicians that have to navigate these laws and who can be prosecuted. And the hospitals that have to navigate this as well, all the while balancing patient care. As part of the reporting you did with fellow Washington Post reporter Caroline Kitchener, can you tell me more about what you found is happening at the hospital level? Caroline and I took two parallel approaches to trying to understand what's happening with hospitals and abortion bans and restrictions around the country. First, we submitted information requests, freedom of information requests, public record requests to 50 of the largest public hospitals in states with abortion bans. We were just trying to understand what have these hospitals, public hospitals, so not religious hospitals, not academic medical centers usually, what did these hospitals tell their physicians? Was there explicit guidance over what procedures uh, were were able to be followed when someone needed an abortion or not? Who were they supposed to check with or not? Was this on the physician or was there a formalized process to get permission for the procedure? And what we generally found is that hospitals did not want to put much in writing, uh, that the guidance was relatively thin, and that in many cases, the hospitals punted the decision back to the physician and said, this is, this is on you. And again, this was a real challenge for doctors like Dr. Amelia Huntsberger, where you're at the patient bedside, you're trying to make this decision. You went to medical school, you didn't go to law school. The hospital's policy might be nearly verbatim what the state abortion law says. And, and you're trying to make a decision that uh, helps the patient, but doesn't land you in prison. Or alternatively, if you don't follow what the Biden administration says or your requirements under EMTALA, the, the federal emergency care law, that you could be punished by the federal government. So there were a number of physicians we talked to and hospital administrators who said that they just feel trapped in this morass between the sides. And some of that was the public hospital reporting that we did. And some was seeking out the physicians like Dr. Huntsberger in these states who had their own stories to tell. Was there a sense you got from hospitals as part of your reporting that they were fearful of liability, that if they didn't track closely enough to state law, that they could be on the hook, as it were, if and when a physician was to provide abortion care. That's very much something we were told uh, by hospital administrators, lawyers, some senior physicians, that hospitals are nervous about the risks to the institution, whether it's explicitly around liability or something connected to state lawmakers. Do state lawmakers have the power, if they're angry at a hospital, to restrict funding or take some other step that could harm the hospital? I think hospitals are pretty cautious institutions. And I say that not just as a health reporter, but as someone who worked at the advisory board company for many years with hospitals. They tend to be very wary, in some ways, understandably, that they are exposed to risk in so many different ways any single case could be a real disaster if handled poorly. So hospital lawyers have tended to be pretty cautious at interpreting these state abortion bans, whether limiting what is written at the hospital level 
or being willing to go beyond the more conservative interpretation of what the state abortion ban might say. I also think that the state abortion bans, one challenge has been, these are written up by lawmakers who might not be medical experts. So doctors on the ground have questions about all manner of things, well beyond what procedures can be treated. We got back as part of our public records request from one hospital in Florida, a running debate over what did it mean to not be able to perform abortions after 15 weeks. Was that 15 weeks and zero days, 15 weeks and three days? Uh, I mean, just the, the idea that there is lack of specificity. And if you were one of these physicians or hospital leaders, you were terrified of making the wrong decision and hurting the patient or hurting the institution. Even with that fear in mind, you did receive guidance from some hospitals that was more concrete and provided more clarity. Can you share more about what you read? Yes. So some of the hospitals that we spoke to or received documents from did have training sessions where they spelled out the procedures that would be covered uh, under the state abortion ban and then the medical exception. And there were physicians who did find that helpful or hospitals that did have working groups that talked at length about what the policy and procedure should be. But again, that was not every hospital. In many cases, hospitals did not do very much. And there were still physicians who felt encumbered by having to call and get a legal check before going ahead with a procedure. And that's very hard if you're at the bedside. Uh, those physicians said, we need more transparency from the hospital around what to do so we're not having to track down someone on a Friday night or over the weekend or when the patient minutes matter and when the patient might be facing an infection if, or, or worse if we don't act quickly. I want to return to something you mentioned a moment ago. So not only are hospitals and physicians navigating state abortion bans or restrictions, but they're also navigating federal law, and in this case, namely EMTALA, or the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act, which has been on the books for close to 40 years. The Biden administration has basically said that EMTALA trumps state law and that hospitals and physicians are mandated to cover abortion care. But the federal court system, in some cases, has rebuffed that. So as a national health reporter, what have you been watching with all of this, uh, that interplay between state and federal law, uh, particularly in a post-Roe v. Wade period? That's a great question. So the Biden administration, when states in recent years, and this even predates Roe v. Wade, this goes back to 2021 when Texas moved forward with strict anti-abortion restrictions, the Biden administration has promoted EMTALA, the emergency care law, as the path for physicians and hospitals to perform these procedures. That if it is medically necessary, that EMTALA should provide that shield against whatever state abortion ban, regardless of what the state says. That has not found universal purchase in the courts. Trump appointees in several courts have said that this argument does not fly, that it is a twisting of EMTALA that does not make sense, that it was not the initial conception of, of EMTALA. Some judges have, have affirmed or, or at least allowed the Biden administration's legal uh, reading to stand for now, but it seems like this may well be on collision course with the Supreme Court in the next few years, and that may determine the national policy here. I do think the Biden administration feels a bit in a box. They don't know exactly how to proceed given state law versus federal law. They know that the Supreme Court has ruled to 
overturn Roe v. Wade, so they have some hesitation around what the eventual result of some of their abortion policies might be if they were really aggressive. So they landed on Mtala. But this, again, has been more murky than clear for some of these physicians who say, well, wait, the federal government says I can do this. The state abortion ban says I can't. Do I get punished either way? And does the federal government rule immediately protect me if the state attorney general prosecutes me next week? I mean, am I going to be in court for the next three years trying to figure out uh, whether I'm going to prison or not? So I, I think that has been, in some ways, even more uncertain, even more pressure on these physicians, because depending on what you look at and what you read, you're getting conflicting interpretations of what you can do. I want to turn to another physician story that you and your colleague, uh, reporter Caroline Kitchener, shared as part of this article. It's centered on an OBGYN, Dr. Rachel Rapkin, who previously practiced in Florida. She was trying to work with other hospitals and physicians to figure out Florida state law. Can you tell me more about her story? Dr. Rapkin last year was trying to encourage physicians that hospitals had more power than they knew, that her hospital, Tampa General, was moving forward with a list of what uh, procedures would be covered, which, which complications allowed for an abortion. And many physicians at the time weren't sure what to do. So Tampa General, Dr. Rapkin was saying, was offering a path to them that other hospitals could follow. But other hospitals, as we found, did not follow Tampa General. They took steps that just mirrored what the state abortion law said. And my colleague Caroline found that Tampa General has really been an exception in Florida, and at least in its region, as a hospital that will perform abortions for a number of pregnancy complications that other hospitals nearby did not. I, I think it points to this idea that hospitals are nervous and cautious almost as a rule about many things. But in Tampa General's case, at least, stepping forward with this list has not seemed to provide any backlash for the hospital. And if anything, it is being praised by physicians for being a regional model. And so from Rapkin's perspective, you know, she believed that hospitals do have power in all of this. But as part of your reporting, you didn't see any coalition building from hospitals in various regions in order to present a unified front on this. Am I correct there? I think that's fair to say, JC. I mean, we, we reached out to a number of hospital associations, so not just individual hospitals in these states, but the associations that worked with dozens of hospitals in these abortion ban states. And in some cases, we reached out to the national associations, and it was striking how much these associations did not want to talk about these issues, explicitly asking these associations to speak with their policy leaders on, on these issues. What are they telling hospitals? And I just think there's an allergy of folks to the issue. They're just scared that it's no win, that if they speak out as hospital associations about these abortion bans, that hospitals will face retribution and punishment from anti-abortion lawmakers who don't want to see this procedure, or if hospitals are on the record as being too cautious, that physicians and medical societies and abortion rights groups will target them and say that this is a failure of their patient-serving mission. It, it just has been a very tricky terrain for many years, and I think Roe v. Wade being overturned has made it explosive, as we've seen at the ballot box, and increasingly for these physicians who feel terrified of what to do. 
hospitals and physicians are clearly struggling with navigating all of these issues. Uh, did you get a sense from any of the people you spoke with that this would be alleviated or level out to some degree if there was greater clarity with the various laws, uh, notably at the state level? One part of the story that Caroline and I talked quite a bit about, so much of this is up in the air. There are state attorneys general who have said we want to prosecute physicians who break these laws, but we could not actually find any physicians being prosecuted under these new abortion bans, at least not yet. And some of that is because of the legal uncertainty here. Conversely, we don't have clarity around EMTALA and and whether it does trump these state bans. So once there is more of a shaking out, whether there are lawsuits that kind of set a precedent here or there's more understanding of how EMTALA fits, there might be more clarity on how to move forward. But in my time as a reporter and and before, I've seen how abortion just paralyzes issues. How if you're in Congress and trying to move forward with certain bills, if abortion gets involved, that can put a freeze on that legislation for months or, or longer. Or a nominee who has been recommended by the Biden administration or the Trump administration, that person's abortion views can put a hold on that that candidate. I, I think abortion as an issue that paralyzes next steps, we're seeing it at the hospital level now. And it's not clear to me that things will be unparalyzed, that things will be clearer until there is some bigger legal shakeout in the months or years to come. That was Dan Diamond, national healthcare reporter for The Washington Post. He joined me to talk more about his recent reporting that looks into how hospitals in states with restrictions or even bans on abortions have navigated both state and federal laws, and how physicians practicing at those hospitals are often dissatisfied with hospitals' lack of guidance. You can find a link to that story on today's show note at gisthealthcare.com. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.